As you can see, I want to invite you to open your Bibles and meet Galatians chapter 1. We are continuing in our study through this fantastic book. Uh, God's Word is full of good news to us. And Paul shared good news as he greeted the believers in Galatea. Paul shared grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace is good news to us. God's peace is good news to us. The gospel of Christ is good news to us. The sacrifice of Jesus is good news to us. Forgiveness of sins is good news to us. A relationship with God is good news to us. But God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, by faith in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We are right with God. We are forgiven by God. We are children of God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. This is just one example of all the good news that is full and for us and found in God's word. I have good news to share with you this morning. We believe God has made it clear to us as elders and leadership in this church family that it's time for us to reopen our ministries on Sundays. Yes, yes. March 21st is the target Sunday for the reopening of our ministries. Starting on March 21st, our preschool ministry will be open in both services. Our kids' church will be open in both services. Club 56 and our student ministry will be meeting in the 9 o'clock service. Our on-campus adult life teams will continue to meet in both services. We will continue to follow all of our protocols and procedures, which helps us to love one another and to provide the safest environment possible for us to continue to grow together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus as we gather for worship on Sunday mornings. I want to encourage you to visit our website later today, this week, uh, for more information about this exciting news uh, that God is moving in our midst and leading us in this direction. God is at work in us. God is at work through us. God is at work around us. And God's work is best for us and those around us. And we're excited to continue following God as he leads and guides us day after day after week after week. And so let's continue now growing together in our study of Galatians chapter 1. Paul followed his typical greeting of grace and peace. If you look in the first five verses, Paul had his typical greeting of grace and peace, and he followed this typical greeting with a very atypical message. And this atypical message begins in verse 6, as Paul wrote these words, I am amazed that, that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Notice... There are no prayers for these believers. There are no words of thanks for these believers. There are certainly no commendations for these believers or for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. No, the atypical message is this. Paul skipped past all of that, which is typical for his letters, and he immediately rebuked the believers in the churches in Galatea. He continued in verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, 
If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Paul was amazed. That means he was stunned. He was shocked. He couldn't believe what he was hearing about these believers. He was amazed at how quickly and easily these believers in these churches in Galatea turned away from God and the truth of God's word and turned to the false teaching of the false teachers. As you see in this passage, Paul immediately reminded the believers in these churches of how he preached the good news of the gospel to them and how they heard the good news of the gospel, how they believed in the good news of the gospel. And he literally said, and how they received the good news of the gospel by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. The false teachers and Judaizers were troubling these believers. They were disturbing these believers with their false teaching of salvation by faith in Jesus plus works. And so Paul made it clear, there is no other gospel other than the gospel of the grace of Christ. And Paul said, a curse is to be on anyone who preaches or teaches or shares a different gospel other than the gospel of the grace of Christ to us. And so we see this literally means, this curse that Paul proclaimed literally means that whoever it is that is guilty of preaching or teaching or sharing a different false alternative gospel to the gospel of the grace of Christ should be given over to God to face God's holy wrath and righteous judgment. Paul was clear in teaching the good news of the gospel. Paul was clear in his rebuke of these believers. We need to be clear in teaching the good news of the gospel. We need to be devoted to the good news of the gospel. We need to rejoice in the good news of the gospel. We need to stand firm on the good news of the gospel. We need to share the good news of the gospel with all those that God places around us. The gospel is the good news that forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God is available to us by the grace of God at work in our lives through our response of faith and trust in Christ Jesus. The gospel is based on what Jesus has done for us, not what we do for him. It's based on what Jesus has already done for us on the cross, not what we do for him on a day-by-day basis. You see, Paul loved these believers. And he didn't want them to turn away from God and the truth of God's word. He didn't want them to exchange their freedom in Jesus for bondage to their works. He didn't want them to stop growing in their faith in Christ Jesus. And he didn't want them to miss out any of the blessings that God had for them in Christ Jesus. And so he clearly, boldly, lovingly rebuked them because they had turned away from God. They were in the process of of turning away from God. That means deserting. That means defecting. That means changing sides, changing allegiance from one to another. They were in the process of leaving the truth of God's word that they received and following the false teachers and their false teaching. A few reasons why believers turn away from God today are are similar to what we see here in this passage. What was going on with these believers happens today at times with us as well. 
Let's look at just a few reasons believers turn away from God today. One is false teaching. There are still false teachers preaching, teaching, and sharing a different alternative false gospel other than God's gospel of grace in Christ today. There's false teachers prevalent today. As followers of Jesus, it's so important for us to be students of God's word so that we can recognize and resist false teaching by the power and wisdom of God at work in us. God's word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And the more we know this word, the more we hide this word in our heart, the more we live according to this word, the better we will be at recognizing and resisting false teaching. A second reason is sin. This is obviously the most common reason believers turn away from God. We at times are guilty of wanting what we want rather than what God wants. We think we know better than what God knows, or we get impatient with God and we get tired of waiting for God or frustrated with God, waiting for him to move. And so we just decide we're going to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. We're going to take matters in our own hands and we go where we want to go. We say what we want to say. We do what we're going to do. We walk in the flesh, not the spirit, and we turn away from the Lord. Satan is the deceiver, the liar, the tempter who is constantly trying to pull us away from God, the truth of his word, and our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And understand, I know you do, it's a good reminder, Satan uses other people and our circumstances in his work against us. Satan uses other people and our circumstances in his work against us. If he can get us to focus on other people or our circumstances rather than on God, he's got a much better chance of turning and pulling us away from God. And so he constantly tries to use other people or circumstances to discourage us so that we'll turn away from God. This is why Peter warned us to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against our souls. Peter said that we're to be alert, sober-minded, to be on guard spiritually, to keep watch because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. It's why Paul told us to be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Paul encouraged us, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so you can stand up under it. John encouraged us. He said, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. He forgives us when we confess and forsake our sin. And so we understand at times we as followers of Jesus Christ, just like these believers in these churches that Paul was writing to, we will turn away from God at times. We will at times go into that process of defecting or deserting what we know to be the truth of God's word. Sometimes that's because we're listening to false teachers. We're not protecting our minds. We're not on guard against what we're listening to and who we're allowing to speak into us. Other times it's just simply sin, our own sin that, that God is convicting us of. A third reason is pain. Listen, times of pain and suffering test our faith in God because we don't like times of pain and suffering. It may be pain due to the fact that God is not answering our prayer the way we want. It may be pain due to the fact that God's not answering our prayer when we want. It may be pain from our past that's continuing to haunt us in the present. It may be pain from our relationships with other people, and these other people are causing us pain. 
Whatever the source of the pain, understand this, Satan yells at us in our pain to blame God and to turn away from God. He yells at us in our pain to blame God. He's not helping you so that we'll ultimately turn away from God. David the psalmist was very familiar with times of pain and suffering. I think we understand this. We know the story of David and the scriptures. And David encouraged us in Psalm 34, verse 15, said, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. God's eyes are on us, and his ears are open to our cry for help. That means he hears us, he sees us, he longs for us to turn to him in those times of pain and suffering. In those times of loss, in those times of challenges, when we're dealing with pain, maybe it's the pain of sorrow and the loss of a relationship, a friendship, a loved one, whatever the case may be, in those times of pain and suffering, God longs for us to cry out to him because his eyes are on us, his ears are open to us, and he will meet us at our point of need and minister to us. A fourth reason is unbelief. Unbelief, and this may sound weird, but let me just explain to you what I mean. Unbelief is also a reason at times we turn away from God as followers of Christ Jesus. At times we turn away from God because simply we don't believe that we can do what God's asking us to do. We believe God. We believe God loves us. We believe God is with us. We just don't believe God is for us because our eyes are on us rather than on God. Our eyes are on our weaknesses, our hurts, our challenges rather than on God. And we at times don't believe that God will help us do what he's calling us to do. The unbelief in our lives when this happens is generally caused by either a fear in our lives some fear or combination of fears in our lives. Secondly, it's caused by discouragement that is just piled up in our lives. Or third, it is caused by listening to the lies of the enemy rather than the truth of the Holy Spirit of God on a day-by-day basis. What happens is when we fall in these seasons of unbelief where we don't believe God can do what he's asked us to do, it's more focused in on ourselves. Why? Because we've turned inward instead of turning upward. And that turn inward gets us focused on our fears and just says, no, you can't do it. Or, or the lies of the enemy have convinced us we can't do it. And that produces discouragement. What happens is the unbelief leads to a lack of faith and trust in God, which is a challenge for us as followers of Jesus, because we know God made it clear to us in his word. Now, without faith, it is impossible for us to please him. It's impossible for us to please God apart from faith in God. God calls us out of our comfort zones into the unknown to follow him by faith every day. We cannot get away from God's call on our lives to follow him by faith. Every step we take in our relationship with the Lord is to be a step of faith and trust in him which means he's constantly calling us out of our comfort zones to follow him by faith. Therefore, we must remember there is no unknown to God. There's no unknown to God. Though we may not know how everything's going to work out, though we, not, we may not know what's ahead, though we may not know how God's going to do what he's asking us to do, though we may not know when God is going to do for us what he's asking us for, to do, for, for us to do, we do know this. God knows and he's not stressed. 
He's not stressed at all. And so what he asks is us to follow him by faith, which happens as we keep our eyes on God and trust in God to empower us to do exactly what he's calling us to do. Because the one who calls us is faithful and he'll do it, as Paul told the believers in Thessalonica. We know that when God calls us, he equips us to do exactly what he is calling us to do. God encourages us in Isaiah 41 verse 13, for I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, I will help you. Praise God, he helps us follow him by faith. Amen? Praise God, he helps us follow him by faith. So this is what Paul understood here in this portion of the teaching. He knew that turning away from God wasn't best for him, Paul. That wasn't best for him to turn away from God. He knew it wasn't best for the believers in Galatea to turn away from God. We know today it's not best for us to turn away from God today or ever. And so these words of rebuke, these words of challenge sink into our lives as well this morning. As we continue in verse 10, and Paul says this, For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? Say that with me out loud. Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, let's get into this. This is so good. All right, verse 10. We're going to start with the very first word, and we're going to stop right there. Four. Four is a transition word. Four is used by Paul to connect what he just said in verses 6 through 9 to what he is saying in verse 10 and following. If you notice, and we'll go ahead and look ahead real quick. Promise me that you'll just do it quickly. You won't get caught up in it. But if you look at verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 13, what are you going to find? You're going to find in verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 13, Paul started each of those verses with the word four. With the word four. So we're going to see a pattern developing here. Starts in verse 10. Paul used this word for because he wanted the believers in these churches to understand the reasons for his words of rebuke to them, which was due to the false teacher's influence over them. So he wanted them to understand. And so he's saying here in verse 10, 4. He's going to say in verse 11, 4. He's going to say in verse 12, 4. He's going to say in verse 13, 4. He's going to make this point clear. Three points that we know about these false teachers that Paul was wanting these believers to understand. Number one, the false teachers attacked Paul as a minister. We've already seen this. We've already covered this. The false teachers claimed that Paul was not a true apostle of God. They said he wasn't a true, genuine apostle. Paul countered and he said, no, I am an apostle of God. I have been called by God, chosen by God to be an apostle of God. Second, the false teachers attacked Paul's message. They preached and teached a message of salvation by faith in Jesus plus works. That was the false teachers. They taught salvation by faith in Jesus plus works. Paul countered and taught salvation is by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, not by works. Paul said Jesus Christ gave himself for us to rescue us from our sins, to rescue us from this present evil age. And so we know Paul taught clearly and consistently good works are a result of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. And now we get to verse 10 and we find out the third point, the false teachers attacked Paul's motivation. The false teachers here accused Paul of trying to please people. 
specifically the Gentile converts, by teaching the gospel of grace rather than requiring circumcision and obedience to the Old Testament law for a relationship with God. They're literally accusing Paul here of trying to win a popularity contest with the Gentile converts. And so Paul says, for, that he will get three, three more words here, for I am now. So highlight now. For am I now? For am I now? Highlight now. Now highlighted. Paul said, for am I now highlighted? This now highlighted the difference in Paul's life pre-Damascus Road with post-Damascus Road. Pre-salvation with post-salvation. Now Paul's going to go into much greater detail on this change beginning in verse 13. But what we'll do is touch on it in verse 10 right here. Before God saved Paul, when Paul was known as Saul, when Paul was a Pharisee, Paul uh, definitely was guilty, and he will admit he was guilty of trying to please people and please God. He was trying to please people and please God prior to his salvation. When Paul was known as Saul prior to his salvation, Paul, according to Scripture, was a zealous Jew. He was a zealous Jew. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He believed that circumcision and obedience to the Old Testament law were requirements for a person to have a relationship with God. Paul said he was blameless according to the righteousness of the law. He was blameless in regards to his good works. He was blameless in regards to the works of the flesh. Paul even persecuted Christians prior to his salvation. Paul had Christians arrested. Paul had Christians thrown in prison. Paul approved, he approved of the stoning of Stephen. He was there when it happened, and he approved it. When Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, everything changed. When he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, everything in his life changed. As Paul later said to the believers in the church of Philippi, what I used to consider gain, what I thought was to my credit, was to, what I thought was to my profit, what I thought was to my good, I now consider loss because of Christ. He said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, for whose sake I have lost all things. You see, when Jesus met Paul on the Damascus Road, everything changed for Paul. His his eyes could see the scales of sin fell off, and he's able to see the truth of the Lord. He was able to see Christ Jesus. He received that gift of salvation. Everything changed on that day. And the truth of the matter is, this is your testimony and my testimony as followers of Jesus Christ as well. The day you and I met Jesus, guess what? Everything changed. You remember that? I hope you can think back to that time. The day we met Jesus, wherever that was, whatever robe, whatever building, wherever that was, the day we met Christ Jesus, everything changed. The scales of sin fell off our eyes. We were able to see the Lord in his glory. We were able to understand this word. Maybe we were familiar with this word before, but then it, at that point in time, it now becomes, it became clear to us in HD quality. Man, we were like, oh my goodness, I can see, I can think, I can feel. Everything changed. And so Paul is sharing with these believers right here, yes, 
though I was guilty of trying to please people and God prior, before in my, earlier in my life, though I was guilty of trying to please people and God before I came to faith in Christ Jesus, he said, that's no longer the case. He said, I can tell you that's no longer the case. He said, for am I now trying to persuade people or God, trying to persuade people. Persuade people literally means this. Persuade people literally means seeking the favor of people. It means trying to please people. It, try, it means trying to win people over. Pleasing people usually includes watering down the truth of God's word. It usually includes tickling people's ears with what they want to hear rather than what God wants them to hear. It usually includes sharing one's own thoughts, opinions, and ideas rather than the truth of God's word. It's as if Paul said here, are you kidding me? You are accusing me of trying to please people now? Have you not read my letter? You see, in the previous verses already, and we're not even halfway through chapter 1 yet, in the previous verses... Paul already rebuked the false teachers for their false teaching point by point by point. Paul already rebuked the believers in the churches in Galatea for so quickly and easily turning away from God and the truth of God's word and turning to the false teachers and their false teaching. Paul already pronounced a curse on anyone who preaches or teaches a different gospel other than the grace of Christ, which was a clear rebuke of the Judaizers and false teachers of the day. Later in chapter 6, we'll find out that Paul also reminded these believers that he bore on his body the marks of Jesus. That means Paul reminded them, oh, by the way, if you think I'm trying to please people, I have suffered persecution for my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I've suffered persecution as I've taught the truth of God's word. These believers knew this because when he was in Lystra on his first missionary journey, he was beaten and left for dead outside the town of Lystra, and these folks knew it and saw it. What Paul is saying is this, I am absolutely not trying to please people right now. Paul wanted to please God. Paul's greatest desire was to please God. Paul ministered and lived to please an audience of one, that being his almighty God. Paul's already told us he was an apostle of God. Paul was saved by the grace of God. Paul lived for the glory of God. Paul proclaimed the truth of God's word because Paul wanted to please God. I love what one Bible scholar said. Paul was not concerned with the approval ratings from other people. He was not concerned with his approval ratings. If Paul lived today, we would say something like this. Paul was not concerned about how many followers he had or how many likes he got from his followers on a daily basis. Quite honestly, Paul couldn't have cared less about his followers or whether they liked what he had to say or how he lived. He couldn't have cared less. And so we see this amazing truth unfolding here before us. We know, according to this truth, the great irony of this passage is this. The false teachers were the ones guilty of trying to please people. The very ones who accused Paul were the ones who were guilty of the accusation that they were throwing at Paul. You see, the false teachers and Judaizers mixed grace and works in their theology. They tried to please the Gentile converts by teaching grace. 
They tried to please the Jews by teaching works of the law. They were so focused on pleasing the Jews and the Gentiles, they forgot to please God. And the funny thing is, the false teachers and Judaizers didn't please the Jews, Gentiles, or God. And Paul is saying and telling them right here, hey, I've taught you this. You know this. You cannot please people and please God. You can't do that. They're at odds with one another. Paul is saying this. You cannot seek to win the approval of people and be a servant of Christ Jesus. He said it doesn't work that way. And he gave them this example, and they understood this because he was pointing this out in regards to the false teachers and Judaizers. And this is true for us today as well. Pleasing people is a point of struggle for some believers today. And maybe that's you today. Pleasing people is quite honestly a huge struggle for followers of Jesus Christ at times. We get so focused, and certainly today, and the influence of technology and social media definitely doesn't help in this area of temptation. But Christ followers can get so focused today on, well, I hope everybody likes what I'm saying or what I'm posting or hope everybody responds to me or when are they going to respond to me and constantly checking for responses. What do they say? What are they doing? Constantly checking to see, well, what, what's going on? Am I invited to this? Am I invited to that? Did I get included here? Did I get included there? That must mean they don't love me, so I need to do things so I can please people so that they can be, they want to be around me. And, and we get caught up into this bondage of we're trying to please people rather than God. And it, we get into this spin cycle. And what happens in the greatest problem with pleasing people is we end up living the way people want us to live rather than the way God wants us to live. We end up saying and doing and going and saying and doing things according to please other people because as we look at other people, we think to ourselves, well, if I want this person to approve of me, if I want this person to like me, then I've got to do what this person is doing. I've got to be involved in what this person is being involved in. I've got to respond to this person. I've got to change my life so that this person will like me. And so we start living in accordance to what others are doing, what others want, what others say without even realizing or considering or stopping to understand that that's directly opposite of what God wants. And so Paul was helping these believers understand what we know today. People-pleasing is inconsistent with God-pleasing. We cannot seek the approval of people first and foremost and still yet be a servant of Christ Jesus. As Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't please both God and man. You can't, can't serve two masters. It's got to be one. And he's the right one. And so we see Paul here is once again taking apart an accusation from the false teachers about his motivation for ministry. Then he was also turning it back around and teaching the importance of pleasing God first and foremost rather than pleasing people. Because God and God alone is worthy of all we have and all we are. So let's Let's look at a couple of questions we can ask. Number one, how do we please God? How do we please God? Now, we can spend all kinds of time listing different reasons. Let's just get to the easiest, most basic, simple answer, and that is simply this. We please God as we walk by faith in God. 
We believe in God. We trust God. We follow God by faith because he's God. He knows what's best for us, and he does what's best for us. As I mentioned before, uh, the writer of Hebrews told us, now without faith it is impossible for us to please God because the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So we understand and realize that it is impossible for us to please God apart from faith in God. We also know we demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. How do you know if someone has an act of faith in the Lord? You can watch and see, are they walking in obedience to the Lord? Because faith and obedience travel together. They're traveling companions. We demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. And as we walk in obedience to God, it highlights our faith in God. And we please God as we follow God by faith. We please God as we obey God. We please God as we do what he says. And we follow and obey God by God's power at work in us. And this is vitally important for us, being able to follow God by faith, because as we follow God by faith, it allows us to be God-pleasers first and foremost, walking in obedience to him. Second question then is why? Why should we please God? One simple answer is pleasing God is best for us. We please God because it's best for us. We see in this introduction, we see in the greeting, as Paul's already told us, in view of God's grace, peace, forgiveness, and salvation of us in Christ Jesus, we should want to please God in all we do and say because pleasing God is obviously best for us because all we have and all we are is from God. This is what Paul said, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. Paul said, my goal in life and ministry is to please God. Why? Because God knows best. God sees my heart. He examines my heart and he knows me best and he does what's best for me. I want to please God and God alone, first and foremost in my life. Listen, pleasing God is best for us because we can trust that God always knows what's best for us and he always does what's best for us. And we can't always say that about other people. As close as others are to us. And this does not mean we can't have strong, tight-knit relationships and that we can't seek to be a blessing and encouragement to one another. That's all biblical as well. But we must understand and remember, as Paul was sharing with these believers, God is speaking to us this morning. He desires and deserves to be first. He will never fail us, forget us, or forsake us. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He watches over our coming and our going. He never sleeps, slumbers, or takes any time off. He's created us. He's knit us together fearfully in his image. He knows us. He knows our every thought. He knows our desires. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. His plan is always best for us. And he simply asks us, in light of all this truth here, in light of all that's in here in our lives, he says to us once again today, 
Trust me. Trust me. Don't turn away. Trust me. I am the Lord your God. I am the one who holds your right hand. I am saying to you this morning, do not fear. I will help you. Pleasing God is best for us. The second reason is pleasing God is best for those around us. Hey, listen, Paul's desire to please God was best for the believers in Galatea because it led Paul to rebuke them for turning away from God and it led Paul to encourage them to turn back to God. Paul's desire to please God was best for those in these churches that did not have a relationship with God because it led Paul to clearly communicate once again the good news of the gospel of the grace of Christ. Because of the presence of the false teachers, Paul's desire to please God was best for the believers, but it was best for those who had not yet placed their faith in Christ Jesus because in view of the false teachers, Paul clearly lined out, he communicated the good news of the gospel. Paul reminded these believers of what he had taught them, what they had heard, what they had received, what they had believed in. He reminded them that we are all sinners that we've all said, thought, and done things that are displeasing to the Lord. We've all turned away from God and gone our own way. There is no one who's righteous. No, not one. Paul reminded them that this sin in our lives, it separates us from God. And the gulf between us and God is impenetrable. It's uncrossable. Why? Because that sin separates us from God. And there's no amount of good works that we could ever do that would ever bridge that gap to get us to God in and of ourselves. Paul continued to point out that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. You see, there had to be a perfect sacrifice for us to be made by someone other than us so that through that perfect sacrifice for us, we could be made right with a perfect and holy God because we are imperfect and unholy. And Jesus gave himself for us, to rescue us from this present evil age, to rescue us from our sins. He lived a perfect life, never sinned. He was tempted, never sinned. He died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again. He's alive today, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You see, the believers understood this, and Paul reminded them of this, but those who didn't yet have a relationship with God, Paul's desire to please God was best for them because they heard the good news of the gospel in a very clear way. But listen, Paul's desire to please God was even best for the false teachers and the Judaizers. Why? Because it led Paul to speak God's words of life and truth empowered by the Holy Spirit in him to the false teachers and Judaizers in the hope that God might turn some of them to faith and trust in Christ Jesus. When we please God, God uses us in his work in others' lives. God has placed each one of us in our realms of influence and our positions of influence. He's placed the congregations that he's given to each of us around us because he wants us to shine his light, to show his love, and to speak his truth. And he wants us to do that by first and foremost seeking to please him. And as we seek to please him by doing what he calls us to do, he'll take care of all the rest. He'll minister to those around us. He'll use us in amazing ways to bless those around us. Therefore, we understand and realize 
that people, once again, are watching us on a day-by-day basis to see if, if this Jesus really does make a difference in our lives. So it's our joy, it's our privilege, it's our responsibility to seek to please God first and most day by day. Pleasing God begins by receiving his gift of salvation, by faith in Christ Jesus. Pleasing God continues from that point forward as Paul is teaching, by walking, by faith in God, trusting him, growing in our faith and trust in him by his power for his honor, glory, name, and fame. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response to the Lord. And let me just encourage those who are here in person, those who are streaming online, if you've not yet received God's gift of salvation, then why not today? Why not right here? Why not right now? Why not say yes to Jesus? You can receive the gospel of the grace of Christ as you understand and realize your sin and how it separates you from God and your need for the Savior, and you believe that Jesus is the Savior, that he took your place on the cross, that he paid your price for sin, that he died and rose again. He's alive today, and he wants a relationship with you. And you enter that relationship by confessing your sins to God, admitting that that you desperately need the Savior Jesus by turning from your sin and repentance and turning to God and just simply by asking Jesus to come in, to take over, to take charge, to be your Savior and Lord, and he will do just that. For my brothers and sisters here this morning, let me encourage you once again, just in this time of quietness, this is our response to the Lord. Let me encourage you to renew your desire, to renew your commitment to please God first and most today, this week. To seek Him first. If this is an area of struggle in regards to pleasing people, ask God to continue to to free you from that burden, to free you from that temptation so that you might seek to live in the freedom that is yours in Christ Jesus. Our pastors and ministers will be standing here at the front. They would love to pray with you, pray for you. They'd love to bless and encourage you in any way. If you desire to give your life to Christ this morning, they would love to introduce you to Jesus. This is God's time as now we respond to him by faith and obedience and trust in him. We're going to continue to worship him through song. Let's stand and let's say yes to the Father this morning.